can you turn today, uh, just a reminder, uh, well, let me finish that sentence. Can you turn today to Colossians chapter 3? That'd be great, all right? Uh, Let me just remind you that, you know, like today, I'm preaching here, and Kiara is preaching at the Franklin Avenue campus. And you can typically hear both of those sermons on the podcast, which you can listen to on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So if you ever want to hear the other person's message, you can do that. And like this week, Kiara and I collaborated some, uh, but we really believe we're speaking to a particular context, and we've prayed into that and believe that God has a particular message for who's in front of us. So our messages aren't copycat. And so you'd probably benefit, you know, from hearing what Kiara is preaching today. So just want to remind you that that's happening over the hill. So today's sermon feels a little bit different to me. Maybe it won't to you, but I'll tell you why. Uh, we're in this series of honoring each other. And it feels really right to do that for a bunch of reasons. It's a value that we have at the Gospel Tab and in our network that we are diligent in our relationships and honor, that we're careful about the way that we care for each other and champion one another and forgive each other and all of these things. And that sense of honoring each other is really kind of the last defense we have against the enemy. Like, there's a lot of things that the enemy can try to do to trip us up. But when we continue to choose to honor each other, even when relationships are difficult, Um, I really believe that the love that gets displayed in our relationships in many ways just makes him powerless. Um, And we don't have to be afraid. We win because he can't love, right? Like, the enemy can't love. He doesn't know how to do that. He knows how to make people sick. He knows how to discourage people. He knows how to attack their bodies, like all that kind of stuff. What he can't do is love. (laughs) But here we are, the people of God, the family of God, with the Spirit of God in us who fills our hearts with love for him, but also for each other. And I really believe that it, it like protects us against the ways that, that the enemy you know, might want to infiltrate what God is doing. So it, it feels right to do this. Now, here's why this feels a little bit different today. This passage, Colossians 3, is a passage that I turn to when I know <clears throat> that I'm going into a difficult conversation with a brother or a sister. Um, I don't know how often you turn to the Word of God in those kinds of situations, but I have to because I get all tangled up in my heart and in my mind and my emotions get messed up. And then the spirit of the age is always speaking to us, right? Things that sound logical but aren't biblical. And so in the midst of all of that, I, I often find myself, when I'm going to a hard situ- conversation with a brother or sister, it might be a conflict, but maybe it hasn't even reached that point. I just know it's going to be a difficult conversation. I find myself needing a word from the Lord going into those conversations. Now, uh, I'm going to say some about today about some of what that means prophetically. But let's just start by acknowledging that when we need a word from the Lord, a great place to turn is to the word of the Lord. Right? (laughs) And to let him speak to us from this place. And I find myself having to pray through Colossians 3. So this is an important passage for me. It's been in my life, and I've been praying through it since I was a teenager. And it's one that I turn to often. And when I don't, I often regret it. (laughs) You know? When I go into a conversation thinking I'm good, or this is an opportunity for me to assert my rights or something, uh, the conversation often goes bad. Um... 
So this is helpful for me, and I hope it'll be helpful for you. So today, I'm not taking you through this passage like, okay, here's the three points out of this passage. Um, I'm going to take you through it how I go through it. Like, this is what I think about, and this is how I pray in this passage, um, you know, when, when I'm going into a more challenging situation, right? And hopefully that's helpful for you. So Colossians 3. Leo, let's read the whole thing first. Um, I think it's good to let the Word of God just have its place, speak to us, and then we'll break it down. All right? Uh, we did this last week. Could you stand in honor of God's Word? And uh, we're going to begin reading out of Colossians 3, um, verse 5. And you can follow along on the screen. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. You can be seated. So let's move through this. Paul begins in verse 5 with this list about the things that really naturally in our sinful state come from our flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. An interesting statement because he identifies all these things with the practice of idolatry. And Savannah, if you could put the portion of the scripture that I'm talking about up on the screen, that'd be great. And then he talks about the wrath of God. There's a lot I could say here, but... It's interesting how Paul identifies these things that come out of us, yes, as, as emerging from our flesh, our sinful nature, uh, but also being connected to idols, to false worship. And part of Paul's teaching on idolatry is that idolatry is something that is often demonically empowered. So there's a power behind this. And, and this is some of why the wrath of God is coming. That power finds itself even built into the structures of society. And this is why when I'm going into like a hard conversation, there are things that sound really logical in my mind that are not God's desire for this conversation or this relationship. It's because I live in a place where idolatries are all around me. 
And this is why, friends, we don't need just like moralized into right living. If it were so simple, we would just teach some classes or something, right? And we'd be good. Instead, there's idolatry connected to these things, which is to say demons connected to these things, which is to say ways that this is layered in even to the environment, the messages that we get on our phones and that we've inherited from our families and all this. We don't need just moralized out of something. We need a deliverer, right? And so when I turn to this passage as I'm going to a difficult conversation, there's something in me that's like, Lord, I need you to do something that is beyond what I'm capable of. Because my heart attaches to these idols. My heart attaches to the idolatries. And the messages of those idolatries about what my relationships should look like are constantly speaking to me. For instance, he mentions here sexual immorality and lust. In a culture like we live in, those sound like perfectly logical things to be present in our relationships. It's assumed. Right? But the kingdom has a different vision for what human relationships can look like. Right? Um, I need someone to free me from those idolatries. He goes on to say, you used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such as these. And here's another list. But all of these lists, this list has to do with our relationships. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from our lips. In context here, it's filthy language really about each other. It's interesting, you've heard me say this before. We often think sin is just like, I don't know, it's just things that I do, and it doesn't hurt the people around us that I just engage in. But sin always has a relational dimension to it. Sin always hurts relationships from our earliest parents to now. Sin always damages the relationships around us, even when we try to conceal sin or hide sin. And we're reminded of that in this list, that things like anger and rage and malice are things that don't only break some rule that God has, But these are things that actually damage our relationships. When I'm going into a hard conversation, I'm like, Lord, I am more than capable of all these things. As a matter of fact, um, these things come easier to me sometimes than the vision that the kingdom has. And so I need you. Verse 9, same thing about relationships. Do not lie to each other. Because lying to one another undermines trust. Lying to one another opens up doors for manipulation. Lying to one another is a way that we damage our relationships. And so Paul is casting a new vision. In verse 11, he casts a vision for what this family could look like when he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, all of these Ethnic and religious groups have power dynamics associated with them. Some of these groups in this list think they're better than other groups. Some of the groups on this list assume that they're insiders and assume that others on this list are outsiders. And Paul is reminding us that we're part of a family where there's only one Lord, one King, right? And that all of this centers around Jesus. And so to come into true, authentic relationship with you means that I do it through Christ. That this conversation we're going to have is going to happen around Jesus' presence. And around His presence, power dynamics get flattened. In Jesus' presence, I can't assume that I have the right to control you. That I have the right to assert myself. That I have the right to get my way. Right? And this sounds so obvious, but I often feel so righteous when I'm going into these conversations. Right? We're often convinced of our rightness going into these conversations, right? 
Um, But in Jesus, something has happened to our power dynamics that we've all been lifted or lowered into his love, right? Um, And in that place, we can approach each other as equals. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, this is where this passage really gets going for me. Paul, and he does this often in his letters, he reminds them of who they are. Before he starts talking about the the specific ways that they should treat each other, he starts with a statement of identity. And this is not just like fluff. He's doing it purposefully. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And then he goes on to give his instructions. The last time I, I prayed through this passage, going into a difficult conversation, I landed here for a whole, you know, few minutes with Jesus. It was just like... It's like the Lord was just reminding me who I am. Joel, you are chosen. You are holy. There's something about that where we're both chosen by him, accepted by him, made significant by him, and set apart. Because of that chosenness, set apart, that's the holiness part, from the things that are on these lists earlier in chapter 3. It means that the way that I relate to you, my brother, my sister, starts with God's grace extended to me. That when I find it hard to treat you the right way, it's probably because I'm trying to extract something out of you that really God has already given me. If I'm chosen, if I'm dearly loved, it's great if you think I'm significant, but if you don't, I don't need that from you, right? Um, It's great if you affirm me, but if you're in a place where you can't, it's okay because I'm chosen. I'm loved, right? I've already been affirmed by heaven for all eternity, right? Because of the love of God. It allows me to come into relationship with you, a conversation with you, without feeling like I have to manipulate something out of you so that I can have something in my own soul filled, right? There's a way in which God's love frees us from those dynamics so that we can step into conversation with each other without um, manipulation. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, here's a new list, look at this. Clothe yourself with compassion. You know what I think of when I read this? Like, remember the backstory of the person you're talking to. Remember that they have wounds, right? Remember that they have a story. Remember that something happened to them today that you don't know about, right? And you're coming into conversation. Have compassion. It means we don't just hold each other to the letter of the law without recognizing each other's humanity. God has compassion on us. It says in the scriptures, he knows that we're human. He knows that we're dust. Somehow he makes room in that. Even in his holiness, he makes room for that. So have compassion. Kindness, right? In the way that we speak. In the way that we act to each other. Be kind. Sounds like such an obvious thing about God, but man, we're missing it in our culture right now. Right? Um, The more desperate we get for affirmation, the more desperate we get to be right, the more desperate I am to feel significant, the less likely it is that I will be kind to you. Humility. Being willing to take the lower place of power in the relationship. 
to have enough trust in God and his goodness, to go into the conversation saying, I'm dearly loved, I'm chosen, I can trust enough in God's goodness that I can risk becoming vulnerable first to open up space for God to work. I can risk becoming the weaker one in this conversation. I can risk going low and trusting that even if I don't defend myself in this conversation, that God will fill in the gaps with his love, right? It's an act of faith to become humble. And I still got issues. Like, that's not what biblical hypocrisy is, right? As a matter of fact, it says in 1 John that if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. It ends in us giving gratitude toward him. And I think, like, if our hard conversations with each other happened in the context of receiving our identity and giving thanks to him for his grace and for each other, man, I think it would change the way that we relate to each other. That's not like three alliterated points, but it's how I pray through the passage. And I hope that's helpful for you, all right? Um, I think you're going to find these sermons going to be really practical. Um, as we continue to go through this season before our next combined service, which will be in mid-July. I can't remember the date. Brandy, could you come and pray over us and close for us? It'd be great.